0: two
1: red lights right we're rolling good we yes. always both record it so we don't lose it you know paranoid yeah, about losing i know
0: i hear you yeah, yeah yeah
1: we both have we both have lost <laughs> interviews right oh. i don't want to name drop so early on but mine was leonardo dicaprio and it was awful oh, but it, it wasn't gosh. on zoom it, it was on a flash mic which is like a microphone that had a recording device inserted into the end of it
2: i remember my first awful one was really early on in my journalism career when i was interviewing morgan freeman oh, and <clears> God. God. Similarly, I did that classic thing of I'd had it on record pause for the entire interview. (sighs) No, you'd
1: never sit it recording.
2: But then because I was like so young and scared and stuff, I was like, I can't go back to the office without having to do anything. So they they kindly said they'd put me in again at the end of the day. So I had to kind of sit there like stewing and sweating for like three hours. And I went back in at the end. And I can just remember walking in still and and Morgan Freeman in his like amazing drawl that he has just going. You, the girl that like forgot to hit record. Oh, <laughs> no,
0: yes. that sounds yeah. so stressful. It was really stressful. <laughs> oh, God. I'm like sweating now, just thinking about it. I- I'm sweating too.
1: Yeah, me too. In just solidarity. hearing that story. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Oh
0: my
2: gosh! <laughs> <sighs> so much to relate to in this book. <laughs>
0: I'm
2: having it again. It's every time. Every time. Every time. Oh, what's wrong with saying my name? Welcome to Best Sellers. I'm Natalie (laughs) Jamieson.
1: And I'm Phil Williams, and I'm baffled as to why my (laughs) co-presenter and esteemed colleague uh, just gets the giggles every time we do this intro.
2: I think it's because I, for a long time, have listened to the superlative Script Notes podcast, which I love, and Craig Mazin, one of the co-hosts there, he always does something funny with his voice and it's kind of stuck in my head and makes me laugh. Uh, And now uh, I can't get out of like saying Natalie Jamison or something (laughs) stupid.
1: Do you do that in real life? You know, if you phone to reserve a restaurant and they say what name, do you do it then (laughs) and then giggle to yourself? No.
2: Oh, actually, yes, I do sometimes because, you know, sometimes those situations, you're not quite sure whether to say um, whether to... Just give my first name, or if that's too informal, should I give my full name? Should I give my surname? What should I say? So, yeah, I, clearly this is an issue, one of the I many think of mine.
1: That's um, a uniquely British problem, isn't it? Do you? I, yeah. So, for example, imagine I, um, you took me to a drinks reception, right, and I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Anyone there that came up to speak to us, I would say, hi, I'm Phil.
2: Mm-hmm. That
1: was it. I'd leave it there, right? Yeah,
2: and if I was introducing I'd say, hi, this is my friend Phil.
1: Yeah. But then if I'm phoning a restaurant to book a table and they say, what name is it? I always give the family name. I always say Williams. Do you? Could be, yeah, I wouldn't go Phil because there's I loads go, of
2: Phil's. i go Natalie.
1: Would you? <laughs> so I always go Williams. But then if you go somewhere where English isn't the first language, they think that's your first name, don't they?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Very formal. And they they say, hello, Williams. How are you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, talking of British-isms, uh, oh, yeah. that comes up in our conversation today because we very excitingly Got to chat to Susanna Hoffs, the Susanna Hoffs from The Bangles and uh, Solo Records and all-round lovely person mm. by all accounts, it seems. Mm. And she's written a novel. And she has actually written this novel. This isn't mm. a celebrity vanity thing. She's done the hard work herself, and it shows. And what a delight.
1: Yeah, a delight to to get her to speak to some bestsellers. The books are delight as well. It's a huge amount of fun. And you'll get that from when you hear the conversation that Natalie and I had with her. And also, there's a part in this that I wanted to raise with you as someone who's, who's written, to say, and in fact, Jason recollected did this as well. Didn't he Told us he'd done this? But not many authors write a complete 90,000-plus-word novel on spec.
2: But no. that's what she did. Yeah, yeah. She wrote
1: it and then sold it. And I'm like, yeah, well, like more power to you for doing that.
2: Mm-hmm. And also, that's the way that most wannabe authors have to do it because...
1: Because I need to know you can finish the book.
2: Well, yeah, and also unless you're... household name or there's something else that you're known for or you know you have a degree of fame or you're in the public eye so there's a reason that they think they can sell whatever you write you have to have written the whole book before somebody will take you on otherwise it's too much of a risk
1: I agree and in fact there's another I've I've taken a life lesson from this so let's hear it and then I'll tell you what the life lesson is
2: afterwards (laughs) okay and we'll shut up because it's a great conversation we loved it and hope you love it too here is Phil introducing Susanna
1: Our guest today on Best Sellers, we are so delighted to have co-founder of band The Bangles, but we're not necessarily going to talk about songwriting today. We might. We are going to talk about novel writing and Susanna Hoffs' debut novel, This Bird Has Flown, which is a hugely fun, romantic adventure, which also captures some quintessentially English moments in it, which is done brilliantly, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. And we welcome Susanna Hoff to Best Sellers. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm thrilled to be here with you both.
1: What's it like, first of all, when you hear that kind of an intro? And, and, you know, for years you've done press with the band, but now we're saying we're talking to you as a novel writer, not as a songwriter.
0: It's thrilling. It's thrilling. This whole journey, I sort of just threw myself into it, um, never having taken a writing class, only having been a lifelong reader. And just in the same manner that I seem to have done everything meaningful in terms of my career or my work, I should say. Same was true for the Bengals. I just pre-internet, pre-being able to find people that way. I just plastered record stores with flyers, advertising myself, looking for other bandmates. And and that's ultimately how the the Bengals came together. And in that same kind of manner, I just it had been a lifelong dream to write a book, and I had just co-written a several screenplays that were optioned by studios but found themselves in what we call development hell and ultimately on a shelf and just, you know, gathering dust. And I and my, my older son, Jackson, said, Mom, why don't you write the novel? You've been talking about it your whole life. And I said, why don't I? And the, from that moment on, it just was this really fun journey. And obviously it's fun to write about the first blush of romantic love, which is one aspect of the book. But I also made the decision when I was sort of grappling with who the protagonist could be. And I thought, well, you know, my husband's a filmmaker. I know the world of Hollywood and entertainment. I'm intrigued with that. But perhaps knowing the music world and being able to pull back the curtain on what it feels like to be a musician And also a person in the music in quotes business i thought that i could share something of that that i could imbue the character's journey with some of that knowledge and it turned out to be so fun
1: so was this a screenplay that you converted or was it was this a standalone novel or had it been a screen oh no yeah
0: no this had never been a screenplay it's just that just to clarify sorry that was probably confusing just to clarify i for years um or for several years, i had collaborated on multiple different screenplay projects, all of which were optioned by studios, but never came to fruition. So I had collaborated in that kind of writing, which is different from songwriting. um, And novel writing is also different from screenwriting and songwriting. But in some weird way, working in those different mediums and being a lifelong reader sort of led me to just thinking that I could take the plunge, throw myself into the deep end, to to quote the name of the album title (laughs) I just made, because all things seem to come together in a weird way in my life these days, and just start writing. And so that's how I just wrote the whole thing for joy and pleasure. And it wasn't till several years into the process that a, a novelist friend of mine insisted I let her read my manuscript. And I was very reticent because I was, it was never good enough. I I could always tinker with this sentence or that sentence or this idea, but she read it overnight and said, you have to get this to an agent. And I think I know my agent would like it. And it just went from there. And then, then it got real. Then, then all (laughs) these years of sitting, it was real for me, but everybody who knew me was like, what's happened to Susanna? She's sitting alone in a room for six hours, eight hours a day, writing this so-called novel. But now it's real, like I have, it's real, look.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There it is, there's
0: words on the page. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask you about
2: what was holding you back from writing a novel until now? Because obviously, you know, you've had huge success, not just with the bangles, but with your solo work as well. Um, And the screenplays that you said, you had the confidence to do that. Was there anything in you in terms of lacking in confidence that you felt before now that a novel was, I don't know, why did you think that wasn't going to be for you?
0: I don't know. I think I just never, I never really, it was just one of those more amorphous kind of goals. And I had started a novel in 1989, written, you know, but before I had a computer really, um, just in notebooks. Right on. Why right does the Bengals journey that decade in the '80s that we we all lived together? You know, it was like roommates practically. We're on the road. That was winding down. I I had the spark then to write a novel, and I just sort of let it meander and like just not come to fruition. And then I don't know. It was just the right moment in my life in my 50s, actually, when I started the novel, now I'm in my 60s, um, (laughs) that I discovered this new passion. And the more that I threw myself in, the more I loved it. And the more I discovered that characters talk to you and it, it begins to almost write itself. You know, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication, but it was honestly fun for me. It was really, um, you know, escapist.
1: We have to know, Susanna. Just between us, we won't tell anyone. I promise. <laughs>
0: yeah. who was,
1: who's your author friend who said this has to go to my agent?
0: Okay. Her name is Margaret Stoll. She writes mostly um, in the uh, young adult uh, genre. Uh-huh. So, and she um, she re- wrote a um, co-wrote actually uh, with a woman named Cami Garcia. A um, a very popular best-selling um, series called Beautiful Creatures that was made into a film at one point with Jeremy Irons was in it and and so yeah I saw so that she... film I did the junket on that film did you <laughs> yeah. amazing so um that, that was Margaret so and we met I love because that story our, yeah we met because our children uh both attended Stanford University the son this actually both my sons ended up going to Stanford but Jackson, the our older son, um, was dating Margaret's daughter May, and so we became what we called uh, the outlaws, the mother-in-laws. She had some funny expression <laughs> for it, like we were like mother-in-laws, and be- we became best friends. And we would start to when the kids, both our kids, ended up going to Oxford for a term, and so we 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 got on the plane and visited and you know like it it became like this very festive chapter of my life where kids were in college and um it was kind of empty nest in a certain way not quite but going in that direction it was like a time to it was just a moment in my 50s to kind of do those things that I'd always wanted to do there was a freedom in the in the kids being kind of launched as young adults and in the world. And I just I just grabbed it, you know? And then she was just, I really was afraid to share the book uh, for a very long time. But once she, the ball got rolling and I'm so grateful to Margaret for that.
1: Are the kids still together?
0: No, they oh. were, they were, they were, but they're very close friends. They were for a long time, but in a, some way when it was kind of a first love for both of them, In some way, it's it's so it's okay. They were together for many years, and then they decided, you know, to. And it's good; it's not
1: affected your friendship with Margaret, because I think at that age I'd have been like, "Mom, stop speaking to my ex."
0: Yeah, no, it didn't affect it. In fact, if anything, we're closer than ever. And um, you know, the journey of being in book world now, and always being able to have get advice from her, and um, we share the same incredible literary agent who's so wonderful, and. You know, Little Brown has been amazing. It's just all been like so, actually, so fun, this chapter.
2: So, was it just that kind of one? It sounds like a quite a longish time that you spent in Oxford, because that comes out in the book quite a lot. There are quite a lot that's set in Oxford, which, again, is close to my heart. I was born in Oxford. Um, so, that's oh. like my hometown.
0: <laughs> So, so you I mean, know the covered market you well, know the i was just about market. to say
2: the covered market is the best thing right it's the
0: best <laughs> it's the best yeah as a teenager that's all
2: like where i'd go i'd go to the covered market and various pubs like the turf and, and oh i love hidden... the turf <laughs> yeah. and the those bear pubs the bear is great as well the eagle yeah. and child is closed down I... yeah. oh it is mm-hmm.
0: oh
2: yeah but they're redeveloping well, it so hopefully well, it'll the turf attain. is
0: where where bill clinton Um, famously did not inhale (laughs) smoked pot but didn't inhale i think it's on a plaque no i i'm i'm so excited um to visit oxford again and actually i'm performing at the kite festival which is a book and music festival in oxfordshire so i will be in oxford in june that's so cool Back, back in Oxford, it's such a wonderful city. Mm-hmm. Will is, you be I doing a book sense.
1: thing there and a music event as well?
0: I will. Wow, I will. That's uh, and all of my book events in America on my book tours, um, I have been asked to bring my guitar. I'm looking at the guitar; it's staring at me from <laughs> over there. And um, this is also a new chapter in my life where I never really felt that comfortable just being on a big stage. And um, with just me and the guitar alone, I've always wanted to have someone come along and do some of the little fancy lead parts. And I just got over it. I was just like, okay, I'll do a bit of this song and a bit of that song. I would do readings from the book or Q&A, and then I would just break into a bit of song. And you know what? It's really a fun, this is a fun chapter of my life. I'm doing things I never dared to do when I was, a bit younger. Yeah.
1: What, what was the key to getting over that?
0: Just doing it. I mean, I was sort of dreading it, to be honest. I was like, ah, oh, I always want to have one other person there to do the little lead parts and fancy bits. But I just thought, you know what? I sing at home during the pandemic. I would make videos at home. Like a lot of people stuck home. They, they would do stuff and just post it on, on Twitter or Instagram. And I thought, oh, well, I've done that. I've sung a bit of Manic Monday here, a bit of Eternal Flame there. You know, I can do it. And so, yeah, I just kind of, all of these new challenges, I I, I thought, I think to myself, if not now, when, right? Yeah, well, it's obviously
2: not great to hear that you are still thinking that after such a, what from the outside seems such a successful career, but also kind of so relatable to know that we also have these Like doubts about our abilities and what we can do and and the confidence to do that which is like a real thread that runs throughout the book as well about yes being able to stand up on stage and do that and and also what people see when they stand up on stage whether they see the image or whether they're really listening to the song and understanding what it's about was there like a main sort of inside thread from the music industry that you really were keen to get into this book
0: well there were several things, and, and actually, I I knew, I I noticed in the um, description of the Zoom today that you wanted me to potentially read a little bit, if yeah, whatever you guys like. But I was thinking exactly that 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 not the book was you know fueled in many ways by the romance part of it and the and the love story. But at the same time, I did choose to make Jane start a musician a musician who's we find her very down on her luck. And it, it was, it was a kind of interesting challenge for me to kind of process and put on the page what, what aspects of being in the music business are difficult. I mean, I think, and I don't know, I think some of it is that, you know, not only is it difficult, I found it in some ways easier to write the book than to write a song. Songs Mm -hmm. are so prescribed. Um, There's... Things that you have to take into account, meter, rhyme, rhythm, you know, flow. And and it has to be like, like a little puzzle that you're working out. It's very, yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. It's like, like one count- of those square
1: puzzles where you move the squares around. There's one spare square and then eventually you get the picture.
0: Yeah, but, it's, but it is like making a puzzle fit, you know, whereas yeah. with the book, there's this sort of flow state you get into, which you can get into that with writing a song as well but but it's it's different because you can just be in the flow like you've thrown yourself into the river and you're just you're kind of the thoughts are just coming and the characters are talking it was just a wildly different experience for me writing from writing songs to writing the novel but i also found that I had to kind of dig deep and find the words and the way to describe what it actually feels like to stand on a stage and and suddenly you're not just the person who is like dealing with life's small annoyances or you know paying the paying the bills or taking the garbage out you're you're like on a stage and people expect you to be great (laughs) and they expect you to have this I don't know just turn on this sort of magic or something and you're singing and you have to go from like your ordinary life with all of its little things to oh I'm going to open my mouth and sound is going to flow out Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be this other person and I so it was kind of fun during the the writing to get deeper and deeper and deeper into that and I thought because you had asked to possibly read a passage that there was one that kind of was about that moment for Jane early on in the book where okay, she has great. to play a bachelor party. She's kind of oh. hit a low and um she's just been dumped and discarded. Her boy longtime boyfriend partner has, you know, dumped her and gone is with because he was cheating on her. And she's really she's really in a terrible place when we find her. But her manager who's British has said, I got you a gig. And it's. it turns out the gig is not not the best kind of gig, but it's <laughs> playing a bachelor party in Las Vegas. Um, and she finds herself you know, in the wings, thinking that initially she'll have a guitar, there might be a pickup band, that doesn't work out. There's no guitar. And, and it turns out they just want her to basically karaoke her song, her one hit from 10 years before. And um, it's a very humiliating moment, but it does show kind of the perspective of, of what it would be like to be in the head of this person and have to tumble out onto a stage and so I, I was thinking that might be a good passage to read. Oh, perfect. Well, I,
1: I know for a fact, because you and I spoke before we spoke to Susanna, we've got so many questions about just even just that passage, right? So you read it first of all. <laughs> oh, great. And then we'll bombard you with questions afterwards. So um, this is Susanna Hoff's reading from her debut novel, which is already troubling the top 10 in the States, by the way. I saw the LA Times chart on your Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, which is very exciting. It's called This Bird Has Flown.
0: It was official. This was a moment of reckoning. At the ripe old age of 33, I was an over-the-hill, one-hit wonder, and now it seemed a Vegas performer who did bachelor parties. Pippa was reading my mind. I knew she was. I saw it reflected in her eyes as clear as the glint of a murderer's knife in a Hitchcock film. A wave of panic rose up in me, steep and sharp, a funereal thud drumming in my ears and I clawed for a rescue song. Wayne Newton's donkashen began to umpa, calmingly, ironically, inside my head. donkashen darling, donkashen thank you for all the joy and pain. And just then, the opening strains of my hit began to swell through the sound system. Showtime, I would earn my money and rally. Nothing in this world could destroy my love for Jonesy's song. But my heart leapt to my throat. It wasn't my track peeling from the speakers. It was a horrible, cheesy karaoke version. Pippa gaped at me, mortified. But I had only enough time to gag back the rest of my vodka Red Bull before a hot white spotlight snapped on center stage. I tumbled out into blinding brightness, stark and unforgiving, catching blurred glimpses of the sweaty faces of the audience as they slam danced, crashing into one another like football players in slow motion playback. They'd come here to have fun, and I would give them that, even singing to a shitty karaoke track, even without a guitar to clutch for dear life. I closed my eyes. I thought only of singing. I would stay in the unfolding present tense, in the meditation of singing. I would leave no room for stage fright or humiliation, no room for imposter syndrome or for Alex's rejection. I would think only of this melody, which felt grand in my throat, slipping silkily from my lips. What a thrill it had been to reinvent this song, to sing it all these years. Thank you, Jonesy, for writing this song. And how did a person not dance to this groove, not move their hips, not give them the old rock and roll hair flip, even while holding a Party City wig in place? The high note was coming. It was coming, 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 and I would not fear it. I would conjure the old driving analogy and prepare myself. I would keep my hands steady but relaxed on the wheel I would travel the roadmap of the song's melody to its final steep ascent and liberate the note from its shelter deep within me. And when it sailed out, clear and bright and free, it was as if it didn't belong to me at all, but to everyone else. And I thought, my work here is done.
1: <laughs> Natalie, did, did Susanna Half just sing for
2: us? She did. She did. She did. she did. <laughs> and then when you're reading oh, that wow. bit as well, in my head, I'm like, oh, "Is that like it's like that note in Eternal Flame where you go up at the end in the last oh, bit?" Yes. <laughs> yeah. like, Are you recreating yeah. that as well? I was
0: recreating that, but it's so weird. I I was hoping that I would be able to do singing of melodies in in the songs that come up in the book, mm-hmm. but uh-huh. apparently you're not allowed to. It's a mm-hmm. rights thing. But yeah. I can for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah no one's yeah. gonna bust me for that. Yeah.
1: Because I, well, so you read it so beautifully, not wishing to blow smoke unnecessarily. That I looked up whilst you were reading. I looked up. Have you done your own audio book? And the answer is yes, right?
0: Yes, the answer is yes. But I got because there are so many British voices and accents. I got my dream audio reader, Juliet Stevenson. I don't know if you know Juliet. Of, yeah. of course, and yeah. Truly, madly, deeply. Yeah, she's read. So many of my favorite audiobooks, including the Jane Eyre version. That in studying Jane Eyre for the themes that that you know kind of informed some of what this book was about, um, I I listened to Juliet read that to me uh, several times, and because she she brought um, because it's an old fashioned style of writing and and not what we're familiar with now as much. Um, her reading was the first time I got certain things that just went right past my head when I read the the book on the page, like her, her delivery and her interpretation of how Mr. Rochester and Jane would, would verbally spar with each other. For example, I always, t- I, on the page, it felt it didn't, there was humor in it. And, and they were teasing each other in a way that Never, I never understood until I heard Juliet read it to me. (laughs) So Juliet was on my wish list and she did about 30 different voices, multiple accents. Yeah, it was a a feat.
1: Can I ask you a question about that reading? I've I've marked it. Funny I'm glad you chose that. I marked a bit to to ask you about um, where Jane says, there's always something a bit creepy about privates, but I was desperate for so many reasons. If only my look would change and this would be the last dodgy gig I'd have to face for a while. Now, I don't wish in any way to be impertinent but have you been there?
0: I mean, I've definitely done Vegas. Right. <laughs> and there have been some gigs in Vegas in particular that that helped spark that idea. I mean, um we have done privates. I mean, privates are a little known thing that's talked about because as I say in other parts of that same chapter, um, you know, superstar people, superstar rock stars play privates on private islands, you know, mm-hmm. for, for lots of money. And, you know, it's just not something it's, a, it's always se- seems a bit gauche to talk about that. Um, the Bengals have done Vegas gigs many times. Some of them have been better than others and, and we've played the odd private, you know, What was the
1: weirdest private that you did?
0: Oh, I think it was, it might've been at a little event in Hollywood there wasn't anything particularly weird about it. It was just there's just something it's just different from playing a venue. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, you've been great different. You know, you know, yeah, it's just there's something about somebody um yeah, it's just sort of this strata below, you know, what we think of when people musicians play a venue. Like it could be any any little club. I I actually love play small clubs more than I feel comfortable on big stages or at festivals you know I find I find those the most cozy and and like the most communing with the audience but when it feels like a corporate event or or something I don't know I just chose to to point it out because I think it's a little known aspect of the music business and I thought again you know, if Jane Start is a musician versus, say, an actress or something in Hollywood, it would be an opportunity to, to do just that. And and it was, it was really fun to write about those scenes about the music business. Yeah,
2: I think there's a misconception commonly that you know, if you've had any type of hits record um, or in the public eye in that way in the music industry, that you're always making money. And actually, unless you're releasing an album or touring. You, you're probably not, you know, of oh, course, there's novelties and things, but it's not a constant. You're not getting a salary every month, so
0: exactly. And because Jane Start's one hit was um, a cover of uh, an iconic rock star who's called Jonesy, um, his song, it, it, it just yeah, yeah, all the math on that ends up being quite different, you know. And so she really doesn't, I mean, she really is at a place where she's kind of ready to pack it in. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any confidence that she can really reclaim any any place that would make sense as a musician in that world. You know, like it's just difficult. Yeah, even though, and we might have touched on this, I had such an, the decade of the 80s was just this, I don't know, it's this magical thing where our brand of music somehow clicked even though we thought of ourselves as a very scrappy garage band and basically we were but then you know Prince the Great Gift of Manic Monday that just that turned my life around you know getting that call come pick up the cassette from Sunset Mm -hmm. Sound the wonderful studio and and what what blossomed and it just kind of opened the doors but then walk like an Egyptian hazy shade of winter and ultimately me co-writing Eternal Flame that was you know, I was able to use some of the flavors of that, those experiences to to imbue the story with some of the difficult times, but also the beautiful times in music. I mean, I'm sure this has come up loads of time
2: and I'm aware it's a fiction book and everybody reading it should be aware that it is a fiction book. But also knowing your history and the life you've lived, it's hard to not think of Jonesy as being based on Prince when you're reading it, because it's an enigmatic person who comes in and, you know, he plays incredible yeah. guitar and I never got to meet Prince. Uh, I would have loved to. I saw him live a few yeah. times and it was out of so this world. Amazing, right? Yeah. What? How did you kind of find that character of Jonesy? And, and what did you want to say with that?
0: Well, I like the idea that, um, well, they're all the characters were really honestly figments of my imagination for sure. And, 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 I had like I had a little mood board that I made um, just it was fun to occasionally when I had to grapple with, you know, describing a face, for example, um, I had to kind of see it. And so interestingly, Hillian Murphy was who I <laughs> was on my mood board for um, Jonesy. Um, but uh, and I had one for Tom and um you know, Jane was always sort of a blank slate. I didn't really have her figured out, I mean, that well, but um, even though I was in her head the whole time. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, back your question was...
1: He's Jonesy you know, Prince, basically.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, I think that Jonesy is some mix, I think I say in the book, of David Bowie. In my mind, I'm picturing Killian Murphy's face and eyes and sort of childlike innocence, you know, having watched, I think it was because I watched Peaky Blinders that he had this mix of absolutely like almost a childlike face, like the proportions Mm. of a child, but he's like this cold hearted killer too. (laughs) Like I wanted Jonesy to be someone intimidating, but brilliant, but a little crazy and a little dangerous for Jane and he wants something from her. And there's always been this idea of her whole one hit wonder dumb, her whole raison d'etre for being even in the music business was her covering his song. And she's never been able to really find her own voice. He can't get past it. So he looms as this complicated figure. And she senses that he wants something from her, or does she owe him something? And she can't quite, she can't, every time she thinks about him, she gets sort of a, like a, mm. a shiver down her spine. Like she can't figure out, and he's so enigmatic and so sort of um, game playing with her all the time that she can't. Yeah, he's just this fictional They
1: all sound very prince like qualities to me.
0: <laughs> well yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he can be whoever anyone wants him to be, really. I mean, as as is Jane. Like she could you could design. I mean, now, now that I've so the Universal bought the rights to the to the book and I've written the screenplay and delivered the screenplay, pre pre-writer's spread, strike, which is oh, ongoing course. here in, in America. As we record, the... yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um uh the question of casting, I mean, I had this whole casting list for the men and I had ideas for Pippa, for example, but I've kept Jane, interestingly, kind of a blank slate. She could, as long as the actress can sing and dance and and, and loves the character, like I'd, I've kept Jane in some ways the most bl- blank slate.
1: Um, wow. I mean, there's questions there. Mm-hmm. First of all, have you read Sinead O'Connor's book?
0: Um, I have not read the book, but I saw the doc, the uh, documentary. Yeah.
1: I mean, the bit where she I'm goes to Prince's to... house. Yeah, and, they have yeah. the, and the first thing he does is they have a pillow fight, but his has got, his is weighted. I mean, that's really weird. Oh my
0: God, it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I really want to read it because I, um, we shared the same tour manager. Actually, back in the eighties, he was our, our bodyguard. And he ac- actually, his name is John Colacci, and he was Sinead's bodyguard too, during so much of her touring and in, in the whenever it was it must have been in the 90s or the late 80s um but yeah that was chilling <laughs> I know I I haven't read the memoir I want to though
1: okay let me get back to your book I'm I'm sure you know it's inevitable that when you write a book like this people want to know the parallels where's the line finish from Susanna and start with Jane right
0: yeah.
1: So uh, this is a part that, that probably alludes to that. The songs on my second album had been dreamy, ethereal, a delicious pleasure to write, and far from the commercial pop my record label apparently expected, hence my being dropped. Yet I felt a little Philip inside and I was touched, uh, touched because she'd had a compliment about the second album. Yeah. Um, wh- where does that boundary Like, How fraught is the battle between what you want to pursue artistically and what the label wants to sell commercially?
0: Well... I think the reason I'm an indie artist now <laughs> is both <laughs> both that it's probably there's some probably an aspect of ageism. I'm just going to guess. I I don't know if that there's a real real reason to be on a label at this point. And and again, every time I do something in the DIY spirit, it's like with the, writing a novel. Um, and here it is. It's in the. It's out people to enjoy it. Thank you. I've just made um, an album and an EP with Peter Asher, the great producer, Peter Asher. Um, And I just, again, I did it on spec. I I self-financed it. I I don't know. I think, you know, I, I, and I think that it was hard in the post-Bengals years to kind of, if the goal was to reclaim or keep what I had going there in terms of the Level of people knowing about the music, songs being um, in the charts. I, I've I've sort of made peace with the fact that that's a very unlikely scenario, but um, at this point, I feel so so lucky that I'm able to just keep creating stuff, and um, the fact that I did this labor of love. I, I all of my musical projects now are just labors of love, and if people want to find them, you know, on the streaming services or or get a CD. Once there are CDs available, I th- there might even be. A, a, that's how <laughs> I'm not sure of where things are at with that. But but, <laughs> you know, I'm just making stuff. I, I like to wake up in the morning and, and I'm so lucky, as I say, to be able to just work on all these projects. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good feeling about the music business. <laughs> I don't necessarily. Are if you're the I same
1: age as Simon Le Bon, and last weekend I saw them play to twenty thousand people here in Manchester, where I live.
0: Wow, yeah. Well, they're they have a big. I think, and I know John Taylor. I know John and, and Simon, and and they are such wonderful people. And um, I've had lunch with John not too long ago, and you know he they're just great. But they have a they have. I mean, I, I sort of had to step away from the touring with the Bengals just because I wouldn't have been able to write This Bird Has Flown had I not, you know, kind of walked away from some bands like to keep touring and I'm so happy for them. This is joy for them. And um and yeah, I just uh I don't know how that might work in my life at this point. I think I'm it's actually that. I'm, I'm a-
2: continually fascinated by it, though as well that kind of tied into what you're saying is that in a way success is individual to each of us really if you're in a privileged enough position obviously you know with a roof over your head and enough money to live on to, exactly. to have that because I'm guessing that for you if you're still saying you get nervous being on stage and the thought of doing that by yourself but then once you're there you enjoy that close engagement that you can see people enjoying it whereas you don't need to know that you know a hundred thousand people in a stadium might be Loving it. That's no. not the win for you.
0: That isn't the win for me at this point. It's it's not um yeah. And I know that it is very important for a lot of musicians and that's that's a personal choice. For me, um, I'd like to get going on the next book and um I don't I actually am really embracing the idea to just show up at, at a book reading with my guitar and now get over my fear of just very intimate, much more, let's put it this way, a more intimate experience. Yeah. You know, I had, and even even a few years back, we, we were playing some, the Bengals played a few big festivals on big stages. And, you know, I found, uh, I find the intimate connection with an audience somehow. For me, that's more exciting. I don't know why that is, but yeah. yeah. But in some ways it's good that I'm not, you know, feeling bad about about not, not ruling the world and being, you know, playing to a hundred thousand people. Like I don't, I think it takes a certain, um, yeah, those are hard shows for me. I like the intimate ones. I just like the closeness.
2: Well, in terms of like connecting with your readers through this book, um, I mean, there's still so much to ask you about, but firstly, thank you for embracing the importance of a cardigan
0: sometimes. (laughs) And just needing that. My, I know. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that's like a transitional object, like the way children have stuffed animals that they can't let go of. Our kids used to have that until you have to hide them in a in a closet or something, put them on a high shelf so they don't keep having to take their little stuffed animal to school or nursery school or whatever. But yeah, that that cardigan of Jane's ex-boyfriend becomes a character in the book he's called the Kurt Cobain cardigan because it looks like (laughs) the one Kurt wore on MTV unplugged which I loved that performance Mm -hmm, and I loved I loved that that was just a gorgeous performance and I I, to this day I was just like wrapped by it and I loved how he had that sort of grunge cardigan Mm -hmm.
2: and sort of sort of leading on from that I love that you have it's not even a juxtaposition really, but that you obviously write so well about the comfort of that, but then you also write really well about female pleasure and it's sexy. And you write about masturbation and that doesn't often get written about in books and you, you get the tone. So right. I think, did you Mm. find that that was sort of a natural thing? Did you
0: have to work at how you played that on the page? Um. It was more like giggling to myself. I had no problem writing it. No problem whatsoever. I enjoyed those bits immensely. Mm-hmm. And I would giggle to myself. Sometimes Jay would walk in, my husband, and say, "What? who Who sits at a desk writing a novel and is giggling to themselves? And I said, well, <laughs> this is a kind of a fun <laughs> passage to write. And um, I'm really enjoying it. No, it actually, like... Gave me endorphins to write this novel. I mean, this is the weird thing about it. But I was writing about love and sex. And, you know, I loved Jane. I liked that she was sassy and she would, I would just channel her thoughts. And so writing those passages were so fun. So, so, so fun. But I
1: mean, Natty's right to, to raise that and to give you praise for it because we've both read some cringy sex, haven't we? And yeah. reading cringy sex is like having cringy sex. It's really, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas when, if it just, if you're having, if, if naturally sex just feels right, you don't even think about it, right? And that's yeah. what it was. Reading this, even as a man and, and the female masturbations, I didn't go, oh, no, no, no yeah, point yeah, was yeah. It walks. Right? Wait,
2: what? Women do that too, what? <laughs> hey, yeah no.
1: what? Or my, my mom would say, man, You wouldn't want to say it out loud.
0: Oh, oh well. I mean, it so was how so- did you
1: know you hadn't done it awkward? That's the question that we're both trying to get at. Did you? Did anyone proof it? Did you just feel right in your gut? How did you know that you'd nailed it?
0: Well, I kept wondering when there's a little bit of erotica that she finds a, a book of erotica in a in a in a drawer when she's first, you know, kind of living with the new boyfriend, and she says, like, "What's this? What's this mysterious <laughs> book?" And she. Opens to a page, and I just started to write a bit of erotica, and it was really like, I'm, I'm for people, who, this is who are just listening. My fingers were clicking. I just, I just imagined something, and I'm just describing it, and I mean that's book writing. You just, yeah. yeah, you just let your imagination go, and I just, I was like, do I say that? Do I say this? Oh, I worked on that for a long time, and every time I would work on that section, it was really fun, and I kept waiting. For an editor to to say oh we can't have that and then and even even when i first met sarah burns my agent and she took me out to lunch and i went to new york to meet her and we went to the restaurant where all the the they take all the 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 literary agents take their clients their novelists and you know i i was i asked her about it, or it came up in our conversation. She's like, "Oh, that was hot. I really love that section," or something, <laughs> something along those lines. So I was like, "Yes, my work here is done. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, I really love that. I love that." So, you know, I'm my next book, which I'm marinating on and 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 thinking about. Um, the themes of sex and human sexuality will be definitely. There will always be a part of my writing because i don't know maybe being raised by a psychoanalyst who was very open and talking about these things and never wanted us kids to feel like we didn't understand and if we had questions about something we'd seen in a movie or something or read in a book or come across he was just so straightforward and not not telling us a bunch of you know silly stuff he was like okay this is this is how it works and this is life and this is how people are and yeah it was good I think it I think it helped me to get to that place where I was kind of not shy about writing about those things yeah
2: it's great it's really empowering I love it on a sort of writerly technique as well I wanted to ask you about I really enjoyed so much of the the way that you write and there was a a a point of style where you kind of write leading up to an event and then the event happens, but you don't necessarily write chronologically, you then kind of would start writing the next chapter, as if it had already happened. And then you sort of go back into it in a different tense. It was like a really clever way of kind of
0: ah, keeping the book very pacey. I'm not even aware that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, pace was important. Yeah, definitely.
2: And was that something from your screenwriting, do you think that fed into this?
0: I probably, yeah, because um, I really, the writing was, and I probably mentioned this already, but it's worth mentioning, again, as you connect the dots on that idea. I would see it, like a movie screen would kind of come down. And I I would write, because I was just trying to get in the sentences and on the page what the best way that I could for a reader to picture it themselves, even in their own way. E- even if they pictured the characters looking a little bit differently or, or anything, I was just trying to report it so that it would be um, Tangible, yeah, you know, so yeah, that's good, but but yeah, that I mean, the 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 arc of the stories are it's always hard to work on the arc, and that's where Jay was very helpful being a filmmaker because he really works in that three act structure of a film, you know, and so you have to have you know, you always have to have predicaments that characters are grappling with, otherwise, there's nothing happening, but so there was sort of figuring out where the concert scenes happen, where Jonesy inserts himself mm-hmm. into her life, and she's sort of always like, this is it just a reaction to his quirkiness and, and his charisma, this sort of weird mix of like, you know, he's always playing games with her, so she's trying to figure out how to how to play back in a way that's awkward for her, and how does she deal with Tom's secrets there's you know the ghosts of the past haunting as as a theme both both Tom and Jane throughout the story there's there's some ghosts in the attic you know and um that's where Jane Aaron and Rebecca factored in there was like a lot of pe- puzzle pieces to kind of figure out so yeah it, it was all part of the journey of it
1: I wanted to ask you how you I know you and Natalie have already spoken about Oxford and clearly both have a, a huge amount of joy in your hearts for Oxford. But you've managed to do what a lot of Americans, I would say, can't do, which is you've nailed the Britishness. And by that, I mean the spirit of it. You've also, you write it English really well. I don't mean the language. I mean the English vernacular. You write really well. How did you avoid slipping into Don Cheadle from Ocean's Eleven?
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. During the years that I was writing the book, I obsessively watched British shows. So I've watched ah. every Inspector Morse episode ever because it's set in Oxford and it's all the posh like arrogant professors talking in this very high Mm. pollutant style Mm. and 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 Morse went to Oxford too and I watched not only the original Morse seasons but all the uh iterations that followed with different cast members Inspector Lewis for example Mm -hmm. and um yeah So, and and James Fox's son, who played um, his sidekick. Anyway, so, but not just Inspector Morse, um, just so many British shows because I love them. And and so I would keep a a pad. And whenever they would say something like, I don't know, some sort of very posh or unusual phrase um, that isn't something uh, we Americans use, you know, I would write it down and I would just have like reams of. Of expressions that I could pull out, um, it's really and so yeah, yeah, that's how I did but, it. Well, it's
1: hugely authentic. Let me tell you, it's really oh, authentic. Good.
0: Well, we did have somebody. Um, one, we got a read from a, from a British person, and they said, "Well, we don't use the word closet; we say wardrobe
2: yeah. um, mm-hmm. for
0: closet." But then there was there was there was the sort of skeletons in the in the closet, you know. So I think I might have used closet ultimately there. But but like do you say that like as it, well? So. Yeah. So I yeah it 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 was because like the idea of that kind of thematically worked. But yeah, I just I collected phrases all the time. It was really really fun, especially for the snooty Oxford professors. They they really I loved writing them. I loved I loved writing the the older characters who were you know sort of full of themselves, and I I loved those I love those challenges. So I had to do a lot of research.
1: I laughed out loud at the profane rowers.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love Cause, that Because I've heard
1: those guys. I've heard them say that. I,
0: I know. And you know what's crazy? I can still remember early on in the book when I was writing that first date scene. And I suddenly thought, oh, God, it's this moment after these two people have had this connection on the plane. And there's and we know that we're inside Jane's head and she's just freaking out that he hasn't called her. And this is all this buildup. And I'm like picturing this, having been in Oxford, this pristine little restaurant, the thing. And then, then I, I thought, I thought the rowers have to come out, blurting expletives. And I went online and I tried to find examples on YouTube. Of, of just that and i finally found something i was like yes yeah, okay they do do that
1: oh yeah they do yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you need any for your next novel you can email me now you've got my email oh great just, yeah, yeah i've yeah, got yeah. i've got
0: yeah for all british things yeah absolutely. Was most great of my american
1: friends i've actually sent a copy of are you familiar with roger's profanosaurus have you heard of that no so you know roger's thesaurus which is obviously yeah very yeah so, so roger Melly, I the man on the telly. I'll send you a link after, but but me Roger, link, Melly, me yeah, Roger yeah. Melly, the man on the telly, is a, he's a cartoon character from like an adult cartoon called Viz.
0: <laughs>
1: and he's a TV presenter who just keeps swearing. So he keeps getting fired off jobs. And then they develop that by getting him to swear in a way that aren't recognized swear words, but they kind of have sweary meanings. So they've produced <laughs> a whole lexicon of them. There's a thick oh, hardback book. You, you need that.
0: <laughs> I need that. And do people have people like coined those those?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of them in popular. Yeah. I'm trying to think whether we can actually say them on the podcast a bit. And this is because we're both BBC people. It's ingrained us. Even though I'm not on the BBC's airwaves <laughs> now, I can't possibly bring myself to say some of these euphemisms to you. But um Yeah.
0: Well, I did a lot of I did a lot of Googling um during the writing of things like that, you know. So <laughs> I didn't come across the the one you're talking about the profanosaurus the book, is what you the need profanosaurus. okay i got it you'll text me or you'll I'll, you'll, I'll send email me you. yeah, yeah, you'll send me that yeah you'll send a link to it to i promise you yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's great i need that <laughs> that was so good yeah we're good wow. with the uh
2: the british put downs are something that <laughs> we and sarcasm is like a, a favorite thing right it's
0: great yeah it's great
2: um, I was curious to know from writing this book, because obviously Jane Start is a musician and she's writing, she's had writer's block for a long time, but as the novel goes on, she's slowly unblocking that and trying to find who she is now as a songwriter. Were you writing
0: songs for her anyway? Is that something else that can kind of spin well, off? Well, that's my, that's my big challenge. That That is literally what I need to to go into now. I want to t- take a stab, even though I have this sort of writer's block, not about novel writing, but about songwriting. I, I And I saw Crowded House last night. Did I tell you that already? No, yeah. I love, no, I we both I love Crowded House. Summer. Yeah. I just saw um, them and it was one of the best, and I haven't been out that much to to shows. Just, just now we're starting to go out to something like that, like an indoor big crowded concert. I was so good. I couldn't believe how many beautiful songs there were. I was, so to your question, I walked away. I said to Jay, I'm so inspired to write songs. I have to get going on songs. And I really, really want to be able to have a crack at, because there will be a film adaptation, the cover that she does of Jonesy's that she reinvents. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give a spoiler away, but when Jane, she was trying Yeah. So will she, yeah, there's a song that she ultimately writes and I want to take a crack at that too.
2: Do you know Neil Finn? Is that, could you like call him up and say, can we collaborate? Oh my
0: God. You know what? That's a great idea because when I was just there yesterday, um, I talked to his son at length. His Mm. son, Liam is amazing. Mm -hmm. I could, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was stunned by how many great songs and none of them have expected moves in them no they're beautiful sing sing sing-alongable songs Mm -hmm. but the lyrics are so like literary really actually very deep they're not sort of love me do even that love me do is a great song but i mean just they're not simple they're they're complicated and yet they're so beautiful yeah I, i just was i was I've been on a cloud since last night from that concert, really. It
2: does something to you. I had the same thing because I went to see them in London last summer and I came up going, okay, every time Crowded House now come back to play in London, I need to go see them because it's sort of, it's almost like a kind some kind of spiritual thing where the, the music's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I know a it lot really of their is. songs, but even so, I was like, I didn't know that one. Or are they singing it differently? Like it's,
0: yeah, yeah. it's great. It, it was really one of the best concerts I've been to. Ever to be duet, honest. duet. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I know I know them. So that the the and the and Liam is so great. He's a really and also the guy, uh Mitchell Froom who produced my someday record, which was a really fun record. And on that one it was all um basically all songs I'd co written. Um yeah, that that he played key organ and keyboards and so yeah, we're all kind of connected, mm-hmm. but I don't really know Neil really, but yeah, we're, we're connected. So.
1: And you mentioned the film a couple of times. When are we going to see that? And I mean, I presume.
0: Uh Oh yeah. Well, I mean. They'd be daft not
1: to put your music in, right? Your Susanna Hoffs of the bangles. Why would they not want to say soundtrack by, you know?
0: No, no. I mean, actually the executive who fell in love with the book and, and, and then ultimately, you know, bought the right, they, they got the rights and I've written the screenplay um, that he said on that zoom back when like he call to action let's have that song at the end you know <laughs> that that she's needed to write this whole journey of the story yeah so so i that i'm i've i'm you know call to action you know i i'm going to step up and do my best but may the best song win ultimately for it but i'm going to give it my best shot yeah how
1: exciting is this period in your life uh, we've been talking to you for about an hour and ah. I just want to convey to you listening that the, the smile uh, it's more than a smile. It looks like an intense happiness. that's on Susanna's face for the entire 60 minutes. We've been talking and we can claim no credit for that. That's not, thats not down to us. Um, how exciting is this chapter compared to say the eighties nineties that you've mentioned with, uh, with the bangles?
0: Oh, well, you guys have a lot to do with the smile. Cause you're so <laughs> wonderful to chat with really, honestly, oh, and you're, you. you're enjoying the book means everything. Um, I think this is one of the best chapters in my life. I, I have to say, I, I know that it's, it's been a journey from my whole life, but, but I mean, in terms of my work life, my working life as a, and quotes, adult person, um, the Bengals period, that was, that was an incredibly joyous but complicated decade, um, but it was, it was incredible. But um, And then in the intervening ones, I always kept myself creative because that's where is my joy and my happiness. But I have to say there is something really, really tremendously wonderful about this whole journey of having written the novel and being exactly where I am in this moment. I feel like I have the perspective. I feel like, yeah, I just feel very connected to other artists and people and just getting having done something that was really throwing myself in the deep end and learning how to swim and learning how to write it's been great I I'm very happy couldn't be happier
2: I think that kind of comes across and also the fact that you wrote it yourself for joy before you then went to try and find an agent it wasn't as if somebody was saying oh I know it would be a good idea let's ask Susanna Hoffs to write a book mm, it was oh yeah. no no yeah. very much from you um absolutely so <laughs> before we steal you for the entire day uh, <laughs> what else have you been reading that you'd love to recommend
0: oh okay well oh I just let's see what am I reading right now okay so um
2: Do, are you a quick reader by the way because between Phil and I I read much
0: faster than Phil does
1: Yeah, Natalie can do three books to my one. Really? Yeah, she's a phenomenal Um, speed reader.
0: Okay, so hold on one second, because I have them in my Kindle now. Now I'm a Kindle person because my eyesight isn't as good. Oh, yeah, Uh, Maggie O'Farrell. So she wrote a book called Hamnet about Hamlet. I mean, about the creation of Hamlet, but about Shakespeare. That was great. So I've just started. I just got it, and it's already fantastic. The Marriage Portrait, which is her new book. Um, It's fantastic. And then, oh, and I'm also reading, because I'm a crime junkie, um, which might fit with the Inspector Morse thing. I'm actually finally reading Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. And I had read, I had not really realized that Truman Capote had written Breakfast at Tiffany's as as a novella. And so I just recently read that, and I just could not get over the writing, the prose, it was so beautiful. And so I'm reading in cold blood. And again, I mean, the writing is, you you learn something every time you read in, in both the cases of, of um, Maggie O'Farrell.
1: Have you read those books, Nat? Have you read Hamlet or Marriage uh, Portrait?
2: I have got Hamlet on my Kindle as well. And the reason why I haven't dived into it yet is because everyone's told me how upsetting it is. And it's like such a, such a big emotional book. And, um, I just wanted something a bit more joyful. Uh, yeah. But I will read it because I know that it's great, but I was like, oh, I'm kind I've of perimenopausal and I, I don't think I can take that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is beautiful and it is, it is got some dark aspects to it, but it's, it's so, I like being transported to another time too. And, mm-hmm. and Maggie O'Farrell writes about these other time periods because I do kind of love, historical fiction in a way, even though Hamnet, I'm sure there was a lot of research. Uh, I think she has to do tremendous research to be able to write about these various time periods. And I revisit, I revisited again, James Baldwin's Giovanni's room. It's a novella. If you've never read it, I highly recommend it. Giovanni's room. It's beautiful, beautiful writing. Um, It's about American expat in, in, um, in uh Paris. Yeah. And uh it's just it's just really gorgeously written. Just my kind of book.
1: I've just looked it up, Susanna. It's 176 pages. That's my kind of book.
0: It's (laughs) it's 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 not a novella, but it's a very, very yeah, it's not a big giant you could Uh, read it. And it just the opening of it, the opening, you'll see, you'll see. It's just it's just a gorgeously written, beautiful book and i yeah i just hadn't read james baldwin so i i've i've now i i read it a few years ago and i you know so, sometimes i like to go back and read read a, the same book again a few years later especially now that i'm done with my not but this one this one is out right so so yeah. but i i know that it was very moving to me and i was very entranced by the writing so i do recommend giovanni's room highly yeah. I'm
2: going to read that because I I love watching uh, some of James Baldwin's old interviews when they yes. pop up and do the rounds because he's so so eloquent in what he wants to say and so... And
0: passionate <laughs> yes. and passionate. Yeah. Oh no, no, it's great. Yeah. It is great.
2: Yes. I reread The Secret History by Donna Tartt quite regularly. Oh,
0: I love Donna Tartt. I I and and I love The Goldfinch too. Mm, I mean talk about like very lit lyric writing and just like beautiful just passages that flow and flow, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. oh, to write like Donna Tart.
0: <laughs> I know. I, I try,
2: but it's never going to come out like that.
0: <laughs> well, Donna Tart, The Goldfinch, yeah. There were certain books. I also love a writer uh, called John Fowles. He wrote The Magus. That was the one that's the most famous. But I love his book, Daniel Martin. No one knows about it. Daniel no. Martin by John Fowles. I really like his writing, but it's it's, it's it was written, I think, in maybe in the 70s, and once you get to where it's, there's a section in Hollywood, it moves around, but Mm -hmm. I I really love that book, it's, it's, uh, again, a lot of these books were on my mom's, I had the paperback from my mom's book collection, she, she was always keeping up with the times, you know, so that would have been something she had, and I, and I remember as a teenager reading Daniel Martin and being really like, "Ooh, this is very grown up, but I like it. It's a
1: really interesting, I've just looked that one up as well. It's a really interesting cover. It's just a load of old classic American cars parked in symmetry in front of a big screen. I assume it's a drive-in.
0: Oh, is that the Daniel Martin that you got? Yeah, John Fowles. Because I haven't seen that cover. Mine was just, um, I have it in the other room somewhere. Daniel Martin, let's see what comes up. Daniel.
1: So the author is John Fowles, F-O-W-L-E-S, if you want to look this one for yourself.
0: He did French lieutenant's uh, woman too. Oh, that was okay. he that was his famous book. Um oh, I'm not finding it yet. Oh. Oh yeah. That's the cover?
1: Yeah. <laughs> is that maybe it's a new it's cover? Like a
0: car. Oh no no, I'm seeing something else. Well, I'll look it up later but um this is a beautiful cover as
2: well by the way. Oh,
0: thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was a great moment in the journey of the book where you just get this email from the publishing house and it's like your book cover. <laughs> And you got to <laughs> go, I remember reading an interview. Oh, I'm just spacing. Where'd you go? Bernadette was written by Maria um, Semple. Maria Semple. Yeah. Where she described book. her connection with Judy Klein, who's the senior editor at, at Little Brown. And, and I've finally met and she's <laughs> wonderful. But the, the conversation that they had had about, uh, Judy was um, Maria's editor about the, about the cover they just had like kind of a loose kind of abstract conversation about it. And then she gets the email, your, you know, your book jacket or your book mm-hmm. cover. She went to her husband's home office at the house and, and, and she couldn't like click on the email without having him there <laughs> or something like this. This is how I remember hearing this story. And um, the same was... I I had to take a moment before I clicked on it. Unfortunately, my husband wasn't home when I got that email and I wasn't going to wait all day to look at it. But I remember channeling Maria's experience and I clicked on it. And like, essentially, this just came up. There was one thing where the lipstick was red. And I was like, there's a no red lipstick girl thing in the book. You know, Mm -hmm. Jane would never wear red lipstick. So I was like, the lipstick should be pink. That we should describe it change. really it's
1: it's um uh, a lime green background and then the there's a an illustration of a female uh, on from side perspective wearing sunglasses the bright red lipstick that Susanna just referenced and red pink headphones lipstick. pink, pink, pink
0: now yeah, uh, yeah and
1: the headphones where it would have like a logo it says a novel which I thought was yes. a really nice touch
0: yeah and I I did that specifically because people who have come from another like musicians who write books it is assumed you've written a memoir. Mm. And so I, I so remember I'll level with you.
1: Phil, I know you well enough to say, when Natalie spotted your book, right? And I said, yeah, let's definitely talk to Susanna. I'd love to talk to Susanna Hoffs, right? And I assumed it was an autobiography until it came in the post.
0: Yeah. See, it's it's assumed, right? Yeah. So that's why I said to um, my editor at Little Brown, I said, one thing that, and my agent too, Sarah Burns, one thing I think is critical for the book cover, whatever they their art team wants to come up with is that it says somewhere on the front a novel and actually when you get the book the title has a novel well in some cases they're in maybe it's listed that way in the bookstores a novel like it's definitely in the fiction category Mm. because it is assumed that it's a memoir yeah yep
2: Oh, it's been such a joy. Thank you so much oh, for so hanging great. out with us today. Yeah, thank you for ah, making time. Honestly, we, we're pleasure. really
1: thrilled that you said yes. And uh, we should both stress because we both really, really enjoyed this. This book is yes, there's some romance in it. Yes, there's some sex in it. It's a huge amount of fun that I want it's to really convey. Funny. That. It's funny, like laugh fun. out loud. And funny. it's funny, yeah and uh, it's it's an adventure as well i found i found it an adventure so it's kind of it's very hard to. i wouldn't want people to just go oh rom-com that's not my bag it's
2: way more than a rom-com
0: thank you for saying that that's great that's good for people to know that's great (laughs) and definitely a
2: novel not a memoir a novel yes a novel (laughs) (laughs) oh and thank you and um yeah thank you for the music as well over the years and can't wait to see what
0: happens next Oh, this has been just such a treat. I just love talking to you both. Okay, so I hope to be continued down the line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be great.
1: You come back and we'll find you here. Oh,
2: excellent.
0: Excellent. Excellent.
1: So lovely. um, So unassuming. Brilliant sense of humor. Just a real joy to sit and spend an hour with. You know, it was a real privilege for us, wasn't it? Now, do you remember at the beginning I said to you, I took a life lesson from it. Do you know what the life lesson is? And people keep saying this to me. Tell me if they say this to you as well, right? But people have said, when I've been a bit frustrated, people have said to me, just do what you want to do creatively and the success will follow, right? Which is, that's the inverse way of how most people approach their life, which is see a job, apply for it, hopefully get the job. Mm-hmm. And this is the other way around. This is do your creative thing and then try and sell it once you've done it, right? Yes. But that's what she did. And, it, and she's in her happiest period of her life at 64, Having produced a new solo record, she's at peace with the fact that the Bangles' days won't return. And actually, I don't think she wants them to return. I don't think you, you highlighted. She didn't sound like she'd be that comfortable in a massive stadium. No. And And um, the fact that this, she's created this new record that she loves and this new novel that she loves, the novel's going to go straight to Universal Pictures. We'll see that in cinemas soon. And she's working on book two. It's the fulfilment, isn't it?
2: It is, but I think it is also... People do always say, you know, you can only actually be yourself. And if you are really true to what you want to create, that passion will come across. And that's what people will buy into and be interested in. But I also mm. think it takes a lot to have that self-belief to really mm. go for it. And of course, it takes a lot, you know, to be in a comfortable position financially, to be able to take a lot of time off yeah. to do that. and to um, It's a lot of
1: time where you're not earning yeah. regularly.
2: Exactly. Uh, Or I'm sure like Susanna as well, but, you know, and you and I writing as well, we do the day job and then have to write in stolen hours in the evening or early morning and yeah, not getting paid for that yet, yet. But yeah, I think it absolutely comes across and I, I think I gushed enough to her, so I wasn't going to gush this, but um, genuinely thrilled that she has written all this herself. She clearly loves reading and writing and storytelling and being creative and just really refreshing that, yes, of course, she's known for her music <laughs> career so far. But this is also just as much creatively her. This is not some kind of cynical marketing ploy to shift books.
1: No, and I'm glad you said that because you and I have been doing this a long time, right? You can mm. smell it a my life, can't you?
2: Yeah. And also you can smell when it's been like ghost written as well, right? Yeah,
1: that's what I mean. That's what I mean. She was immersed in the whole process. Every question we asked her, there was a really good explanation for why it had found its way in. And uh, the fact that she'd been doing screenplays beforehand, uh, I think she thinks very visually. I think also, um Jay, her husband sounds like he's been quite helpful. um she he mentions she mentions Jay a couple of times. It's Jay Roach. so I mean, Austin Powers, is probably the best known films that Jay's directed,
2: yeah, but recently uh, he did bombshell as well, which is the uh, uh, Charlie's yeah, theron yeah. um film, All which about is phenomenal the stuff at
1: Fox, wouldn't it? Yeah. so um, you know, you've got a good person there in the yeah. team to be able to say, hey, what about this? And yeah,
2: you have. Yeah, and, and, you know, again, I don't pertain to know anything about their marriage, but also I can imagine intimidating as well. You know, he's like directing hugely successful multi-million dollar movies. And however close you are, I, I would find it really intimidating. Would, to say, would you really? Even if it's your other half? Yeah, I think I would. Because it, because it matters. It's only yeah. intimidating. It's not intimidating in a...
1: No, the opinion um, matters. But then yeah, don't you exactly. think... You, don't you trust it? Like my other half's opinion. I mean, she's never brutal anyway. To be fair to her, she's not. She's the kindest person I know. But um, even if it's the opposite to mine, I trust it because I think the the only motivation she's got is the truth. Yeah, there's yeah. no hidden motive there at all to tell me that. Do you know what I
2: mean? No, yeah, I fully agree with that. But that's why I think it can be don't, or maybe intimidating is the wrong word. Maybe you just feel that there's a lot riding on it because you value that opinion so much
1: but then if you remember that it's there to support you Mm -hmm. it removes any daunting aspects from it doesn't it it (laughs) It comes with love it does you still look daunted to me
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to put words into anybody's mouth I'm sure like Susanna was just like yeah like read it and uh absolutely chilled (laughs) I'm just putting my own neuroses (laughs) into somebody else (laughs) (laughs) which is unfair and I shall stop
1: yeah but i love your honesty on this podcast (laughs) because obviously you do loads of broadcasting but i think you're at your most honest here
2: yes for sure is that unwise possibly unwise
1: Uh, no it's absolutely being true to yourself and that's all you can do
2: there you go that's all you can do uh but yeah i do think about that sometimes i i'm sometimes when i chat on five live i'm a bit more like this when it's Mm. late night Mm. But yeah, I do. Um, yeah, like what? I, I can't be anybody else other than myself uh, here because otherwise, why would I? This is fun, yeah, right? Well,
1: exactly, yeah. Well, and this is, yeah, because this is our thing. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. here for the right reasons. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's open. <Right.
1: laughs> you want to do the coffee link or will I do it?
2: Uh, you can do it because I always forget it and then I'll say it wrong and then I'll laugh and laugh about my name or something. So you be professional.
1: Okay. Natalie likes coffee, I like euphemisms. Why don't you buy us a euphemistic coffee on ko-fi.com. That's Kofi, it's pronounced, ko-fi.com slash podcast. if you enjoy what we're doing and you'd like to buy us a euphemistic coffee so that we can carry on doing it without starving our children. It's not quite that bad yet, but it's getting there. <laughs> I'll, I should get gelled off today, one at least. No, I really won't. But, yeah, anyway, that's where you can find us. And um, we'll catch you soon.
2: Thanks so much.